This week's parsha is Parsha's Truma. And this is the parsha that begins the beautiful discussions about the Mishkan, by extension the Beis HaMikdash, the Aveda, the Karbanes, the becoming close with the Rabbeinu Shleilam through all of those mediums. And that's what we're going to discuss today, exactly what the Mishkan represents to us. What is the Mishkan? What does it mean to us and what does it do for us? When a person enters the Mishkan, or when we speak about Mishkan, we always interchangeably refer to the Beis HaMikdash as well. What happens? What do you see as you enter the portals of the Makim HaMikdash? You see great beauty. You see the magnificent walls in the Mishkan. The walls are made of gold, gold-covered wood, special wood that was planted by Yaakov Avinu already in anticipation of Klal Yisrael leaving Egypt and building a Mishkan in the Midbar. In the Beis HaMikdash you would see marble, beautiful, special marble that had the appearance of waves of the ocean. You would see the magnificent Kalim, the Menaira and the Shulchan and the Mizbeach, the Kiar, and if you'd be privy, the Arain with the Kruvim, tremendously beautiful physicality in the Mikdash. You would see the Kayin Gadol, you'd see the Kayhanim, the Levim singing Shira with their instruments. But that's all the physical beauty of the Mikdash and the Mishkan. But then there was the spiritual component, the overlay, if you will, of all that beauty, and that is the Kedusha that was inherent in the, in the Makam HaMikdash. This was a place that was filled, of, filled with this world beauty, but it was really a Makam HaChibor. It was a place that connects this world and the world above. We've spoken in the past how if you look in the Psukim in Shirashirim, it always describes the Mishkan slash Mikdash as a tzavar, as a neck. It's the neck of the world. What does that mean that the base Mikdash is a neck? And the way we explained it from the Svar Makadashim was that a neck is a place that connects the head and a body of a person. And that is what the Mikdash was. The base Mikdash was a place that connects the body, which is this world, and the head, which is Shamayim the Makam Achibor, the place that connects these two places, the lower world that we're in and the upper world of the Rabbi Shalom, that is the neck, that's the Beis HaMikdash. All tefillahs that we davened always run through the Makam HaMikdash, meaning our tefillahs go, it doesn't go straight up to heaven, it goes via the, the conduit of the Beis HaMikdash. That's why whenever we daven, we're supposed to always be facing the Makam HaMikdash, or if we don't know where the Makam HaMikdash is, we could still have Kavana towards the Makam HaMikdash because our tefillahs go to the Beis HaMikdash, and through that canal, through that tunnel, through that pipeline, that's where the Kedusha rises through. And so all things that are coming up from us to the Rabbi go via the Beis HaMikdash, the things that come down all the Shefa Bracha that comes from Shemayim goes through the Makam HaMikdash as well. It's the neck of the world. And so if you would go into the Beis HaMikdash, there would definitely be this world beauty in it. All the finest architecture, the finest construction, the finest materialism, if you will, the gold, the silver, the kalim. But the greatest thing is that you go into this place and it would sort of be a, a place in the world that you feel Kedusha. 
that there is the Hashras Hashchina there. So there is a, an amalgamation, a corporation of Ruchnius and Gashmius, of this world and the next world, all in one place. You build for me a mikdash, and I will be masher my shechina. My shechina will come down and be in that place. So imagine a place in this world that you could enter and you could feel the kedusha, you could feel the ashras shechina. That was what the mikdash was. I remember when I was a child, I used to have these recurring dreams, and it's a little bit perhaps weird to talk about, but it was a, a dream that I had constantly. Or maybe we're, we're talking in Dafyami these days about the sugya of dreams and all the, the lumdus behind dreams, what dreams are, and, and there's a lot of truth to dreams. Dreams are very important in a person's life if you know how to understand them and interpret them. And I, this was my dream that I kept having. I don't know why. But I had a dream that I was walking through a, uh, like a ghetto, like a very dangerous ghetto with graffiti all over and in the middle of this ghetto there was sort of like a brick igloo if you will like a, just it looked like an igloo a brick igloo and there was graffiti scrawled all over it was like really a, a dangerous place and I went into that igloo and inside that igloo, there was beauty. There was like velvet tapestries, and there was a throne, and there was um, like a very special holy scene that was playing itself out within that igloo. And that was Vayichalayim, that was it. And I think that's really a, a great definition of what the Makam HaMikdash is. You're in a world, and outside in the world, it's dangerous, and it's strange and it's foreign and there is all types of threats to our ruchnias, to our gashmias, to our life. But then you come into a special place in the middle of this world and it's just a place of beauty. It's a place of pristine glory. And you feel special and you feel a makam of Asherah Sashkina. That's what the Mishkan represents. It's a place to escape this world and enter into, into the Rabbi Nishlam's special chamber. The nisim that were manifest in the Makam HaMikdash were many. Because it's a place of special Kedusha, because it's a, a piece of heaven that was brought down to earth, you can understand that everything that was in this Makam HaMikdash was very special and was very different than everything that you'd see in the world at large. Different rules of nature we're applying within the Makam HaMikdash. So we have a Mishnah in Aves, for example, that Asara Nisim Nasala Veseina Beves HaMikdash. When you walked into the Beves HaMikdash, there were ten miracles that were constants. There was never a fly seen anywhere in the vicinity of the Basar of the Kachim. If you put out a piece of meat today outside, leave it there for a couple of minutes, Rest assured, within a few minutes, there's going to be flies and there's going to be bugs and everything is going to be on that piece of meat. In the base of Mikdash, there was thousands and thousands of karbanas brought every day. And you'd expect there to be like a ton of flies all over the place. There was never a single fly, not one. There was never... Rain, when rain fell in the Beis HaMikdash, you'd think that that would extinguish the Atzim, the Esh the, the of the Marocha, the Esh of the Mizbeach. The fire would get extinguished if there was a big, heavy rainfall. Never happened. There was pillars of smoke that would rise straight up. Never did wind. There was wind in Yerushalayim. There was wind in the, in the Midbar. Never did wind ever blow those straight columns of smoke in any direction. The columns of smoke just remained going up in a straight line as if there was no wind. These were evident miracles in that place, in that Makkah Mamikdash, and the reason for it being so different because it wasn't in this world. It was a place that technically on, on, on a map you might see the Makkah Mamikdash or where the Mishkan was located. You might see it there. On Google Maps you would find it, but it wasn't really there. It was in a different place. And of course, 
the makim ha'aren was ena min amida. If you would take out a tape measure and you would measure the aren. The other day I had uh, my washer and, and washing machine and dryer have been like breaking constantly and I kept having to hire repairmen to fix it. And uh, every time he comes, $150. And a whole washing machine is already $350. So I said, you know what, it's enough. I'm going to just get rid of them and, and buy new ones. We had them already... 15 years, and that's the lifespan, beyond the lifespan of these appliances in this day and age. My parents still have one from 1960, I think, and they, they used to make them much better, but now you can't expect more, so I had to order new ones. So she said, okay, you have to measure your basement, the entranceway down to your basement, how, how wide is it? Because if you want the bigger machines to hold more laundry, I don't know if it's going to fit. So I took a tape measure, and I measured the doorway, and... Uh, they delivered them, and of course the guys came yesterday and they were giving me such a hard time, it's not going to fit. And we have to take off the door, we have to take off the railing, the banister. I said, listen, I, I can't help it. This is what you do. I'm paying you to do this. I'm, I'm, it's not my job. You, you know, I do my thing. I'm not asking you to come to land there and give a schmooze. You, you do your thing. And after fighting with them for 10 minutes, I, I showed them on my, on, my, you know, on my phone that I have an invoice that they're supposed to install and take in. Anyway, they finally did it. They were able, they mutched it for a long time, then they were able to get it down. But if it would have been an inch wider, it would not have made it through that doorway to the basement. The Arun, if, if you would have taken, if these clever would have taken a tape measure when they were building, if they were asked to build the, the Makam HaMikdash and say, okay, uh, Pedro, come here, how, how big is it? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's 10 amas by plus, the, but the wingspan is longer. It goes beyond the aron. Well, the whole makam of the Kedosh HaKadoshim physically could not fit the aron. If you would say, if you would plan it out, it ain't going to fit. It's just not. You, you cannot fit something this big into a place that that's, that that's this big. It just will not work. By the rules of physics, by the rules of nature, it will not happen. But yet, it miraculously did fit. Now, how do you understand that? How do you understand that? The answer is that this place in the world had nisim galore. You know why? Because it wasn't in this world. It was me'al hateva. It was a tzavar that had, yes, it was this world, but it was also the next world. Everything in the Mishkan was different. Everything in the Mikdash was different. It wasn't, if you're looking at the Mishkan as just a nice um, science project, you know, that you're building a Mishkan project in the mid, but it's, it's a place of physicality. It just happens to be a place in this world and, and, uh, and, and whatever, we call it Shemayim Dik, but it's not. It's, then you don't understand what the Mishkan is. The Mishkan and the Mikdash was a place you enter and it was Shemayim. You're entering that igloo and it's a different world. It's not this world. You're exiting this world and you're coming into a brand new world because it's Shemayim, it's, it's heavenly. It's a makam of Ashra Sashrina. It's a place that things are different in there. It's half in this world, half in that world. You have physicality, beauty, great beauty, but there's a, a manifestation of Ashra Sashrina, of Kedusha, of Shamayim, in this world. The greatest miracle of all, of everything that I described to you, more than the fact that there were no flies, more than the fact that a woman never miscarried from the smells, more than the fact that there was no physicality, that the tape measure doesn't apply, the rules of nature don't apply, whatever you'd expect on the outside of the mikdash doesn't apply in the inside. <laughs> These were great miracles that, were, that you were able to see. They were apparent miracles. But the greatest miracle of all was what happened to the person that entered into the gateways of the Mishkan and the Mikdash. The person who came in, if you and I would walk into the Mikdash, we would be completely transformed human beings. It had a powerful impact on us, who we are the way we thought about things, our ashkafas would be different, the way we saw the world would be different, our relationship with the Rabbi would be different, our future would be different. It was sort of like a, one of these science fiction places that you come in, and like a time capsule maybe, or something like that, a time machine, that sort of 
beams you up to another area and it changes you forever. The Asuli Mikdash Veshachamdi Besaycham. There's a Medrash that says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want merely to be Masha Eshchina in this place. He wants to be Masha Eshchina in you and in you and in you and in me. The purpose of the Mishkan was to change the individual Yid's life. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be a portable Mishkan. So you come into this place and you walk out changed. You walk out different. You're elevated. I'll give you a few examples of this. One of them, Rapinkus brings in a Sefer, and it's a Chazal in Vayikar Rabba Parak Chafala Pasuk Yud Beis. V'chal Adam lo yeh ba'ayal mayed. Every person should not be found in the Ayal Mayed in the Mishkan. When the Kayin Gadol comes in on Yom Kippur, Lefnai Lefnim, no man should be around there. Nobody should be there. Bechal Adam That's a special time, and no man should be there. Frak the Medrash, the Medrash asked the question. Amr Abavah, the Kayin Gadol, the Kayin Gadol was going in there. What does that mean? Bechal Adam Is the Kayin Gadol not a man? The Kayin Gadol is a man. It's a human being. What does it mean? No human being should enter the Beis Hamikdash when on Yom Kippur. Ella Kahudam Rapinchas Bishash Ruach Hakaidish Sharoy Alav. When the Kain Gadol had Ruach Hakaidish on him by going into the Makam Hamikdash, by going into the Kaidish Hakadashim, Hayupanav Bayaras Kilapitim Kilapidim. His face was burning like like torches. His face looked different. He was a changed individual. Hadod Dechsev, as the Pasuk says, Ki Sifse Kayen Yishmeru Das, Vitaira Yivakshim Ipio Ki Malach Hashem Tzavakesu. The Kayen Gadol becomes a Malach Hashem Tzavakes. What does that mean? How does that answer the question of the Medrash? He wasn't a human being. The Kayen Gadol was not Adam. A regular human being can't be in the base of Mikdash when the Kayin Gadol comes in to do his Abayit in Yom Kippur. But the Kayin Gadol himself was not Adam. When he comes into the Makam Mikdash, as he enters the Kaidish HaKadoshim, he is transcending man. He becomes, he becomes a Malach. He becomes like Daimel Shechina. He becomes elevated to the degree that he's not a recognizable man. He's, 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 he's greater than a man. That's what the Mishkan does to a person. That's what he does to the Kayin Gadol. You know, they say a Misa with a Bacher that came to the Mir Yeshiva in Poland. And they saw Reb Chatzkel. Reb Chatzkel Levenstein was a, was, had tremendous Yerushalayim. I dare you to find me a picture of Reb Chatzkel Levenstein that you don't get scared from because he always looked like he was full of Yerushalayim. His face was just scary Yerushalayim. He was constantly aware of the Rabbi Nishlam and he was constantly had the utmost Kedusha Vitara. And a Bacher thought that a brand new Bacher came to Yeshiva, let's say he came Thursday. On Shabbos, two days later, he saw the Mashkiach, he saw Rabchatzkel, and he, he thought, he asked a friend of his if the yeshiva has a different mashkiach on Shabbos. He thought that it was a completely different person because the way the Reb Chatzka looked during the week and the way he looked on Shabbos was different. He became, and during the week he looked like a malach already, but on Shabbos he looked like mamish. He was la'ela, la'ela. He was on a much higher level. That's what a mikdash does to a kain gadol. A kain gadol goes from being a regular adam to being a malach. So he's not in violation of the pasuk of achal adam liyeh because he's not an adam. On Yom Kippur, as he comes in lefnayv lefnim, he's a malach Hashem tzivakes. His panav is bayarais kilapidim. His face is burning. It looks different. Now that's true for the kain gadol. 
And that's true for the rank and file Yid as well. When a regular Yid comes into the Makam HaMikdash, he's different. Not only if he's a Kayin Gadol, not only if he's a Gadol Adar, not only if he's a big Rav, a big Tamachacham, a big Tzadikas, whoever it is, the only, whoever comes into the Makam HaMikdash, whoever enters the Makam HaMikdash is transformed into a greater person. There's a fascinating Medrash. The Medrash says that when the Romans came to Yerushalayim to destroy the Beis HaMikdash, they didn't have a map of the Makam HaMikdash. They didn't know what was going on into the Beis HaMikdash. They needed to know where to go. Like, where is, where is everything? I, you know, it's a big building, the Makam HaMikdash. They wanted to understand the layout when they were going to, I guess, destroy and loot and, and burn. They wanted to know exactly how it looks. And they didn't know. They didn't know where the Azar is. They don't know where the Azar Snashim is. They don't know where the, where the Lishkas were, where the Sanhedrin was, where the Kedosh HaKadoshim was. They didn't know. How should they? So they asked the guy... They took a, a Russia, a very evil guy. He was a person that went off the derach, and he, was, he, was, uh, he rebelled against Klal Yisrael. And they hopped him and said, oh, you're a good guy. You know, you know your way around the, the Makma Mikdash? So of course I do. Would you mind showing us the way? He says, I have no problem doing that. But what do I get paid for it? So he said, they said, we'll give you whatever you want from the Mikdash. When we're looting it, you could take whatever you want. Take any, any, you know, you'll be a very wealthy man. You take what you want. You take your shopping cart through the Makkah Mikdash. You take, take something out and, and, and we'll look the other way. It'll be fine. So he says, good, that's a good deal. So he gives them this tour of the Makmah Mikdash. They said, okay, this is this, and this is that. He told, shows them all around. They're very, the Romans were very appreciative. And then they said, okay, now you could take your part of the bargain, take something out. So he comes out with the Menaira, with the famous Menaira, the iconic Menaira of the Makam, of the Beis HaMikdash. Big, gold, beautiful Menaira with Kaftairim and Prochim and all of the intricate details, this is the, this is the prize of the Makam HaMikdash. If you're going to loot the Beis HaMikdash, uh, you know, it would be the Aaron first, maybe, but maybe he was afraid to go in Lefnaiv Lefnim, and then the, the Menayr. The Menayr is it. They said, no. We take it back. We're reneging on our deal. You can, you're a commoner. This person's name, by the way, was Yosef Meshisa. That was the Yid's name. You can't, Yosef, you cannot take this Menayr. You could find the fork find up something else. There's, there's golden forks, there's golden spoons, there's going to take something else. But we never had in mind that you should take the Menaira. Can't take the Menaira. Menaira is the prize. That's what we're going to take back to Rome with us. That's what, on the famous Arch of Titus, you have that scene, that famous scene that plays out on the, in the in grave forever. And you see the Menaira being schlepped. That's what they wanted to bring back as their prize from destroying the base. You can't have that. We didn't mean that. Go back in and take something else. He says, no. I'm not going back in. They said, what are we not going back in? We made a deal. We don't want to renege totally on our part of the deal. We said, you, show, you give us the tear of the, of the Mikdash, and we'll let you take something. You have to take something. Go back in and take something, not the Menorah. He says, no, I'm not going back. They said, why not? He says, because I sinned before HaKadosh Baruch once already. I'm not, I can't go back in again. Not going to sin again. And they said, you go back in or we'll kill you. He said, I don't care, kill me. They tortured him and tortured him. And he kept saying, Oili, Sheikh Asti Esbari, that I made God mad with me. And as he was screaming that, they killed him. Frekta Panavicharov, the great Rav Kahneman, asks, what happened to this Yaisa Meshisa? This Yaisa Meshisa is not a big tzaddik. He was Mamre, he was rebelling against the Rabbi Nishlam before this whole incident happened. He was a bad guy. He gave them a tour to be able to, he, he showed them exactly how all of the nooks and crannies of the Makam HaMikdash said they could go and, and violate it and desecrate it. He's not a tzaddik, this guy. He comes out of the Mikdash 
and he refuses to go back in. He's willing to die to get tortured. For what? Go back in, take something else. Hey, you, you, you were five, five minutes ago, you were schlepping out of Meneir. Now what happened? What happened to Yosef Meshish? And he answers what we're speaking about this morning, and that is that when you go into the Beis HaMikdash, you change. When you come into the Makam HaMikdash, you come out a changed person. You're never the same. You are never, ever going to be the same person. Yaisa Meshisa was a Russia, but he walked into the Makam HaMikdash to give that tour. He came out, he did Shuva. You can't walk into a Makam of the Mikdash and see what you see and feel what you feel and get the Ashras Hashrina and come out the same Yaisa Meshisa as you did when you came in. And he did Shuva. And he refused to go back in. He refused to take anything else. He, he appreciated the fact that he made the Rabbi Yishlam angry. He did Charata and Vida and Kabbalah Asid, And he did Shuvah Gemurah. Changed man. That's the greatest miracle of the Mishnah. More than the Asara Misim that Nasal Aveseinim. More than the fact that they are in his Enim and Amida. The greatest nace is if we would have a Makam Amikdash today and we would go in we would be different. We would be the people that we really want to be, that we know that we could be, but we're not. By merely going into this special igloo, in time and space, this special, beautiful world of the Mishkan, we'd be transposed and transferred and, and transmitted to a place different than where we are. And we would never be the same. We would have to do tshuva. When the Yidin came up to be Ayla Regal, they did tshuva. When the Kaihanim did their Avaida, they did tshuva. They became Malach Hashem Tzavakes. The Levim sang Shira. They caused people to be Mahara B'Tshuva with those beautiful songs of David HaMelech that they sang. When Klai Yisrael came in to do their Avaida or to visit or to do the Mahamadis, whatever it was, to bring a carbon, they changed, they did tshuva. That is the beauty of the Makamah Mikdash. Asuli Mikdash, Veshachanti Besaycham. I don't care, says the Rabbi Yisham, about being Mashra Meshkina within the walls, within the confines of this space of the Beis Mikdash. I want to be Mashra Meshkina in you. Besaycham, Besaychalechad Veechad. And that's what happened. The Mikdash allowed a Yid to be changed, to have the Ashras Meshkina within them. They would walk out different. What a shame it is that we don't have the Mikdash today. That we have such a special place to go, to leave this world, and to become elevated people. What a crying shame. We don't have a Makamah Mikdash to come in and be changed. But I submit to you today that we do. And you know where that Makamah Mikdash is? Right here. A Shechina, a Yeshiva rather, I'm sorry. A Yeshiva is a place that was designed to do the exact same thing as a Mishkan, as a Beis Mikdash. That's what we always call a Shul, a Yeshiva, Mikdash Ma'at. Because it really is, is designated as that special igloo, as that special place that a person will be able to come in and never ever be the same person that he was before he walked in. It's supposed to transform us from regular people to malachim. It's supposed to change us, baruchnius. It's supposed to give us a different way of thinking, a different way of looking at the world, a different way of understanding our relationship with God and with our own selves. That's what a yeshiva is. It's a place that's transformative. If it's the right yeshiva, and if the person himself actually understands this and wants to be transformed, that's the beauty of a yeshiva. I once was in Eretz Yisrael on a, on a recruiting trip I don't like the way that the way that sounds. It sounds like I went to Israel to recruit. I, I went to Israel to 
to give over Torah to Talmidim in different yeshivas. If they want to come to yeshiva, if they don't, then don't. And go to recruit. I'm not trying to convince anyone to do something that they don't, or they, they, they shouldn't want to do. Anyway, but I was in Eretz I went to a yeshiva, and it was a, very, it was a very good yeshiva, a nice yeshiva, but it was a yeshiva for, I would call it beginners slash bali tshuva. And the, the boys there are wonderful boys, and we definitely would love to have the boys from that yeshiva as well come to here. And, and I had a whole shear to give about what a yeshiva is and where the word yeshiva comes from. What is the root? What's the etymology of the word yeshiva, if anyone ever stopped and thought about that? If it's one of those words that we use every day, but we don't really think about necessarily what, it, what does it mean? And I think most of the time, and I open up the floor for, uh, for suggestions what the word yeshiva means, and of course, there's always people that say the same thing, because yeshiva means to sit. So yeshiva is a place that you what? You sit and learn. That's the obvious answer. And I was hoping that people would say that because then I had my whole spiel to give about, uh, not spiel, I had a, a whole, Rav Shlomo thought about this and he says that it can't mean that a place to sit because in the early years of Klal Yisrael when it was still called the yeshiva, already from the Avis, we never, it was always called the yeshiva. The institution that we're in was always called yeshiva from the inception of Klal Yisrael, from the Ovis, from Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Levi, Gaishen, Midbar, there was always a yeshiva, and there was always, it was always called the yeshiva. Rabbi Shalom Zalman says that Rabbi Gamliel, until Rabbi Gamliel's time, they always learned Ba'amida. Only when Rabbi Gamliel, after Rabbi Gamliel's, the Chulsha came to the world, we got very shrap, we weren't able to learn standing anymore, so we started sinning. So obviously the yeshiva, if it was called the yeshiva even before Rabbi Gamliel's times, clearly it doesn't mean to sit and learn. And Rabbi Shlomo has a bar that it's yeshiva and shalaylam, that it means that it's the place that it settles the world, it, it, the whole world exists because of the yeshiva. It provides the ability for the world to have a yeshiva, to, have a, to be sustained and to be settled. Anyway, that was my whole spiel. And uh, you know, then I was going to segue it into base Manishal Talmud, etc. Fine. So I opened it up at the beginning of this year. I said, does anyone know why we call a yeshiva yeshiva? And I was hoping that somebody would say, we sit and learn, and I'd say, no, but fine. A very sweet boy raises his hand, and he says, I think I know why it's called yeshiva. I said, okay, why is it called yeshiva? He says, because this is the one place in the world that I do tshuva. I think yeshiva and tshuva come from the same sherish, if I'm not mistaken. And yeshiva is a place that I could do tshuva. I, I'm out on the street, I can't do tshuva. I can't even think about tshuva. I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at that, I'm going here, I'm going there. My mind, but I come into the walls of the yeshiva and I'm, there's like a gravitational pull to the Rabbeinu Shalom to do tshuva. This is a place that I do tshuva. And I look at this boy and I say, that is the right answer. I had a whole shear to give for another half an hour, but the shear is over. I have nothing to say. I am, I'm just, I concede you're right and I'm wrong. My shot is wrong, you're right. That's the right answer. A yeshiva is a place to do tshuva. A yeshiva is a place to change. A yeshiva is a place that whatever I am outside the walls of the yeshiva, I come in and suddenly I metamorphosize into a different person. I go from being a worm to being a butterfly. I go from being something that is very human to being a malach Hashem Savakis. I'm elevated. Did you ever see people... They go to a yeshiva, whether it's in Eretz Yisrael or in America, whether it's in elementary school, high school, post-high school, college, base medrash, kailo. You ever see a person and you, you knew him before he started that yeshiva and then you bump into him a little bit later and he looks different. He thinks different. He talks different. He acts different. He dresses different. 
It's a different person. Something happened to him and he transformed into a different being. He didn't become more yeshivish. He didn't become black and white. He didn't become a flip out. He's a different human being. Something changed. It's like his DNA got all blended up and, and changed and now he's a different person. He's a different, he's a malach. That's what yeshiva is supposed to do. It's a makim of tshuva. That boy was right. I wanted that boy to come to yeshiva so badly. I said, I'm giving you a full scholarship. I didn't have the right to say that, but I said it anyway. But that's really, he chaps what yeshiva is. I have an uncle who's about 95 years old, Kenai Nahara. I, he's my, my, my role model in life. He's a retired rabbi. I also want to retire. Okay. Um, he's, a, he's, just, he's a Tamar Chacham, and he's a, a mensch, and he's the finest person, and he's, he's, he's just everything. He's just everything. He's my father's oldest brother. And he told me once the following idea, and I've said it over probably a thousand times, he says, you go into a yeshiva or you go into a shul and there are exit signs on, on top of most doors. Exit signs. Why? So that if there's a fire, you know how to get out. You know how to get out. So we know there's doors. I don't know what these two exit signs are. I never figured those out. But, uh, but on the other doors, on the regular doors, there's exit signs. He says that in truth, he always felt that the exit sign should be on the outside of the doors, not on the inside of the doors. Because a yeshiva, a shul, a base medrash is a place that you run into to get out of the world around you outside. It's an exit from the world. It's like the mishkan, it's like the mikdash, it's like that igloo. You're in a world and it's dangerous and there's graffiti and there's gangs and there's thugs and there's robbers and there's people screaming at you and cursing at you and, and you, 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 need to, you need to escape. And you go into this igloo and it's a, it's a place that, that's so safe and so pure and so protected and so clean and so beautiful and so spiritual and so holy that that's where you want to be. That's what a yeshiva is. A yeshiva is a place, it's not in this world, it's an exit from this world. Not as an escapism, we're not looking to escape from the realities of this world, we fully engage in this world. But there has to be a place that we can disconnect from this world and be, be who we really want to be and transform ourselves into the Malach Hashem Tzavakas that we really know that we are. The Alter from Kelim was the great leader of the Kelim Yeshiva, which was a bastion of Musr. And the Alter from Kelim once, or maybe he always said, when he would give a fahar to boys who are looking to come into Kelim, they, looked, they, they took a test and they got in. He says, okay, you're in. You made it. Mazel tov. He says, I want to tell you something. He says, I can't guarantee you that if you come to our yeshiva, that you're going to have Eilam Haba. I don't know. You know, you probably are coming here to get Eilam Haba. I, I hope so. We all want to be guaranteed to get Eilam Haba. And I, I'd like to promise you that, but I can't. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Not, not clear. But there's one thing that I could promise you if you come to the yeshiva. I don't know if you'll have Eilam Haba. But you will never have Eilam Hazeh. You will never ever have Eilam Hazeh. What does he mean by that? What he meant by that is when you come to a yeshiva like Kalim, you never look at the world the same way. Before you come into Kalim, you have a geschmack from listening to certain types of music, to watching certain types of uh, entertainment. You like certain types of foods. You like eating and going out and parties and, 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 and just, you know, chilling. You come to Kelm, everything is different. You will never have that again. You will be changed. You'll be changed. You'll be different. 
That's what yeshiva is. Yeshiva is transformative. Yeshiva is a place that you that you'll never be the same if the yeshiva is doing its job right. And if the, obviously, talmidim are coming to be changed, you can't force a person to change. Never want to force a person to change. If a person is, let's say, on Fridays, they, they think that there's no yeshiva on Fridays. So that's not who the shmuz is too, because they're not coming into the igloo. They're not coming into the mishkan. They're not coming into the basement. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to pull them in? What, what, what should I do? That's not who we're talking about. Being matriculated in a yeshiva does not make you in a yeshiva. Because your name happens to be on the list, and because you happen to be getting accruing credits and graduating, that doesn't mean that you're in the yeshiva. That doesn't mean anything. It's, it's baloney. The people that come to things, the people that are here in this room right now, and that come to the vadin, and that come to the shir klalis, and that they stay for Shabbos, a lot of times, and they come here for Purim, and they're here for Rosh Hashanah Kippur, and they're, 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 they're taking things in. They're, they're, they're prepared to change. They want to, they want to be better. They want to be transformed. That's who we're talking about. And if we're doing our job, and you're doing your job, it's ain't a daima. A person comes into yeshiva, and he leaves yeshiva a different person. Different. I can, I can give you countless examples of this, of guys that came into yeshiva and they were one way and they left yeshiva and they were forever different. Forever. In Eretz Yisrael, you see it a lot more starkly. You have a boy, he comes from a modern orthodox or you know, totally not from background or, or quasi from background. He comes there, he goes to Eretz Yisrael, no interest in learning. Don't know which side Rashi is on and which side Taisa is on. No interest in anything Ruchnis. They're just going because it's a gap year and they, you know, maybe on a dare they went to Israel or that's the cool thing to do and they, they come back Pesach and you don't recognize them. Who are you? Like, what, what happened to you? That's the Mikdash. That's the Mishkan in our world today. Yeah, we don't have the real Mikdash, unfortunately, but we still have Yeshivas. The Yeshivas are the Makam HaMikdash today. They are the transformative places that are not Minamida. It doesn't make sense. The Derech is that a boy like that would continue doing whatever he was doing for the rest of his life. But you go into a place and you have a dormitory and you have a base medrash and you have a Naitzu Asvarim and you have a Chadar Eichal and you have Rabbeim and Mashkichim, and you have Kail guys, and you have a Chevra, and something happens, and the person completely becomes different. He's like Yasef Mashisa. He's never the same. He, never, he, he will never do the same things that he used to do because he can't. He was in a yeshiva. A person that never went to yeshiva, I could do whatever I want. If I went to yeshiva and I was really in a Kalim, if I was in a real yeshiva, I, can't, I could do Averis, but I never do it with a Geshmak. I could speak Lashonara, but I always have that guilty conscience. How can I speak Lashonara? I could watch a movie, but it's never the same because I have such a guilty conscience because I know that it's wrong to do. I'm not a perfect person because I went to yeshiva, but I'm a different person because I went to yeshiva. I never do the same thing the same way. The type of girl that I marry is going to be a different type of girl. The type of children that I raise are going to be different, hopefully, the communities that I choose to live in, what I want to do with my life professionally, what I want to do with my life spiritually, the shirim that I give beyond my profession, beyond what I'm doing 9 to 5, how I spend my time on Shabbos, how my yantif looks. These are all things that are very different for somebody that went to yeshiva and somebody that didn't. But that's what yeshiva is. It's a makim of tshuva. It's a makim of tshuva. One of the most beautiful letters ever written in the history of the world was written by the Chazanish, Suchusayagan Aleinu. He wrote it to a Talmud. And he was telling, he's being Ma'ayur, this Talmud, to become a Talmud Chacham and to have respect for Tamil Chachamim. It's a beautiful letter. I'm just going to quote the punch of the letter. There's, the whole letter is beautiful, but we're not going to say the whole letter out. 
But this is the tamtis, the, the, the crux of the letter in a few lines. He writes about what a Talmud Chacham is. This is the Chazanish's Das Taira, describing in his own words, what is a Talmud Chacham? Chazanish had a poetic pen, like no other. As brilliant as he was in Kalatayr Kula, he was equally brilliant in his ability to formulate thought in poetic style and beautiful words. So he says like this, you know what a man who is zaychad to knowing Tyra is? A person that zaychad to sit and learn and really get Tyra into his brain. You know what that person is? He's a person, he walks on the street. Today, if you're going shopping on Main Street, you might see a Tamachacham amongst the masses of people that are shopping in the supermarket or going to find something in, uh, in one of the stores. He looks the same. He maybe has a beard, maybe he doesn't have a beard, maybe he has a white shirt, maybe he has, but he's a person that learned Tyra. He looks like he, he fits into humanity. He looks like he's part of the crowd. He looks like a human being. He's online, I'm online. He has cholent in his, in his, in his uh, shopping cart, I have cholent in my shopping cart. He's paying with a credit card, I'm paying with a credit card. Same. We're the same people, right? No. He's a malach who happens to dwell amongst mere mortals. He's living a life of nobility. And he's elevated higher than any form of praise. That's what this person is. He looks the same. He looks the same. We're both wearing tzitzis. We both daven in shul this morning. We're both getting ready for Shabbos. We both give tzedakah. We both send our kids to the same yeshiva. But he's a Talmud Chacham. He's a Talmud Chacham, and I'm not. He is not a regular person. He looks like me. I think we're the same. We're not. He's a malach. He's an angel, Hagarim B'nai Samusa, who is walking, he's living with people, mortals, regular people, but he's not regular. He is elevated. He's living a life, his mind is probably thinking about it concise, and you're thinking about the parking meter. He's dedicated his life to doing Abedis Hashem, and you didn't. You're, you're a fine person. And you're also deserving of praise for doing all the things that you do, for dedicating your life to working hard and to raising a family, sending your kids to yeshiva. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing as well. But never, ever consider yourself on the same bench as this person because this person is a Tamil Chacham. This person is a Malach Hashem Tzabakis. And never forget it, says the Chazanish. He's higher than any form of praise. He's different than you and I. He's a Talmud Chacham. And a Talmud Chacham is not a human being. But he's not. He's a Malach Hashem Tzavakis. How did that happen? It happened because he went to Yeshiva. He didn't just go to Yeshiva. He actually invested himself in Yeshiva. He actually breathed yeshiva and lived yeshiva and was there the first in the morning and the last at night. And now whatever he's doing, he's doing. It's not to say that you have to be in Kail to be a Malach Hashem Tzavakis. There are many people that I know that are Balabatim Chashuvim in their Malach Hashem Tzavakis. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're going and they're getting a job and they're supporting their family. But their minds are always in Tyra. They go in the morning to Adaf Yaimishir, their alarm is set for 5.30 in the morning or something crazy like that. And then they come back late at night, they have a supper quickly, and they run to the base medrash. These are Malach Hashem Tzavakes, also. But if you're not there, don't consider yourself equal. You make yourself, you do yourself a tremendous disservice when you think that you're the same as he is, because you're not. It's a dream. It's an ambition to be a Malach Hashem Tzavakis. 
But you know when you become that, you know when your whole life will be different and you will be that person that people point to and say, he's a Malkish and Tzavakis. It happens now. People think Rav Shach became Rav Shach when he was 95 years old and he became the head of uh, the Mayatzis Kedele Atayra and the head of Degel Atayra and all that. That's not true. Rav Shach was Rav Shach when he was this age. When he was in yeshiva. When he was in yeshiva high school. When he was in, in Beis Medrash. When he was young. That's when he became Rav Shach. Rav Shach just expanded who he was as his life progressed, but the yeshiva is what made him who he was. The ashkafas that you get in yeshiva, the friends that you make in yeshiva, the, the learning that you do, the chazara that you continuously go over again and again, the notes that you take. Just looking uh, at, a, at a, a high school boy that was learning, and uh, he learned in like a chashav yeshiva, and he was here... Um, one morning, I think last week, like a very, you know, very fine yeshiva boy. And I was just watching him. And he had his notes from his rabbi, wherever the yeshiva was that he went to. And he was just like looking over the notes that he took in class. And he was like taking his pen every few seconds and like correcting like a, a, a little letter in his notes. And then he looked more and then he like, he, like it mattered to him. that the sheer notes of his rabbi should be perfect. It's different. There are people that go to shir, and, you know, I pass by sometimes the shir rooms upstairs, and, and you see it, it's every shir. It's not one rabbi over another rabbi. It's not one bachar over another. It's like some guys are listening with rapt attendance and taking notes and, and into it, and some guys are sleeping like this. Some guys have put their heads down. I, I understand. People are tired. But there's a difference between one person and another. One person is a Malach Hashem Tzavakis and one person is a regular Bnei Adam. There's nothing wrong with being a regular Bnei Adam. It's human. But they're not a Malach Hashem. Don't think you're in the same class of Mela we're the same. You're not. One is living a Chayat Silo, says the Chazin. It's a life of nobility. It's that it matters. My sheer notes matter. It's important to me. I want to get every word or as much as I can of sheer. I want a Chazer the sheer. I want to remember the share. I want to know it. And then there are people, they just, if they come at all, which is, you know, they deserve a standing ovation just for, for physically being there, but they're not there. Parents are spending a fortune in tuition to spend money so that you're, that you're in sheer and that you're coming and that you're chapping and you're, you're, you're realizing things and you're growing and you're not. It's a tain on us. It's fine to be human, but try to elevate yourself. Use the yeshiva to grow so that the rest of your life you're on fire. You're panavar, bayram kilapidim. You see people like that, they're always on fire. Not just, I know that you think that I'm talking about people in Kailo and Lakewood and Panovich. I'm not talking about them, I promise. Talking about regular people, but their life is animated by Kedusha. They do tzedakah, they do chesed that no one could ever know about, but they're doing it because they're on fire. Where did they become? Where were they lit? They were lit in yeshiva. They're dedicating themselves to give over the Tairus Hashem in many different ways. Where did they get that from? Where did they get that incentive, the motivation to, to, to learn and to teach and to spread and to give? Where from yeshiva? They entered this Mishkan and they, they were forever changed. Like Yasef Meshisa. They didn't come in perfect. They didn't leave perfect. But they, leave, they left changed. Something was different because they went here. And that's what we're zaychet to. We're zaychet to being in Yeshiva. A makam of tshuva. A makam of taira. A makam of hashkafa. Of kedushah. You have to do it. You have to come. You have to be a part of it. You have to appreciate what you have. And every yeshiva is a little bit different. Every yeshiva has its own nigan, its own nusach. No two yeshivas in the whole world are exactly alike. And sometimes, if this is not a perfect yeshiva, you have to find that perfect yeshiva. We get a lot of people from other yeshivas that come to us and do, they do fantastic. We, we, we have a lot of people that leave yeshiva here and they go to other places. They do not every yeshiva is cut out, but you have to know what you need, what you're looking for, and be re- realistic for what, what those needs are. But once you find that yeshiva, it's not after here, maybe this is not the right yeshiva for you. But if you find that yeshiva, you stay there and you grow.
and you develop and you change, you do tshuva on you, and you become a different person, you become a Malach Hashem Tzavakais. That's, I believe, the lessons of Parshas Truma in Tav Shin Pei. You can learn about the, all the Malachas HaMishkan, and you should. There's so much Musa to be learned from every Pasuk in these parashiyas, every Rashi, so much mystical Taira in these parashiyas. But the greatest nace of the Mishkan, in my opinion, was what it does to the human being that comes through the doors of the Mishkan. And the greatest nace of our Mishkan today is what it does to a person that comes through our doors here. And when you see an exit sign on the outside of Yeshiva and you come running in thirsty to learn and to grow and to change, that's going to be your Mishkan. Person has changed. He's just a different person. Like you can't even talk to a person like that anymore. It's like I feel there are guys like, you know, they, they, they become so holy that I feel like they're, I, I, I'm not worthy anymore to talk to them. I might be technically, they might be calling me Rebbe, but like they're, they're so high, they've shtaked so much that, that I can't even relate to them anymore. That's the beauty of Yeshiva. Chaparayim, these are the years for Chaparayim. You're not going to have this opportunity the rest of your life. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you this. I don't want to sound like the old grandfather that says this, but it's so true. You have a window of a few years to completely immerse yourself in Tyra. You take a little college also, that's fine. But understand why you're here. Commit yourself to absorbing all the lessons that, you're, that are being offered to you. And just allow yourself to grow. Don't be stymied. Don't be put down. Don't let anybody tell you what you can't do. Understand that in yeshiva, anything is possible. You plant a seed and it will grow. You give it the right sunlight, the right nutrition, the right water, the right, you're in the right shear, in the right place, the right roommates, the right chevra. If you're not in the right roommates, talk to me, we'll get you out of the room. You do not have to stay in a room that you're not in, that, 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 with a bad chevra. They will bring you down. If you don't have a good chavrusa, try to find you a good chavrusa. But it, once you have everything right, then look out because the sky's the limit. You could be anything that you want to be here in the yeshiva. I've seen time and time again the people that are voted least likely to succeed in the yeshiva, they become tremendous kedayim. It's the people that come in and they're so smart and they have the best this and that. They never, they're not matzliach. It's the people that everybody thinks can't make it, they're the ones that ultimately make it. Because they want it, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're growing. They're taking advantage of this special rarefied airspace of Kedusha Vatar, which is the base Medrash, which is the yeshiva that we have. Chaparayim, because it's not forever. There will be a day that this all comes to an end. But it doesn't have to come to an end. If you spend these years right, then it will never end. You will always be different. You will always be on, on a growth-oriented track. Whether you're 20, 30, 50, 80, 90, you'll always be different because you came into these yeshivas, into the halls of the yeshiva. I remember my father, Shalom, when he was in his 80s, he was nifter when he was 81, his whole life, he used to talk about the few years that he spent in Neri Yisrael. He was a refugee, he was born in Germany, went to Denmark, fled to Sweden from the Nazis, came back to Denmark, came to America. Parents sent him to Neri Yisrael, where my, old, where my uncle was as well. His whole life, he, spent, he, only, he didn't spend that many years, maybe he spent two, three years in Neri Yisrael. His whole life was different because of that window of time. Then he had to work, and this and that, and, you know, and, but he was always Kaveitim Ataira, Baal Tzedakah, Baal Chesed, growth-oriented, publishing his, the Svarim of his great-grandfather, always Bikdusha Vatara sending Where did it come? It came from a few years in Neir Yisrael. In Neir Yisrael, a few years, changed and talked about Rabbi David Kronglas, the Mashkiach, about Rabbi Ruderman. It changed his life. Two years. Two, three years of his life, his entire trajectory was different because of that. If he had not gone to yeshiva, he would be a completely different person. Completely different. 
It's the Makam HaMishkan. It's the place that you go into, that igloo in a crazy world, you go into and you're changed forever. Mitzvah Hashem, that should be our igloo as well. That should be our place. This should be our, a room that we want to stay in, we want to grow in, we want to be in. This is where I want to be. I don't want to be outside. I want to be here. Mitzvah Hashem, we should be zeicheh to all of the tremendous schoolists that our Makam HaMikdash could afford us we should grow, we should steig, we should have simcha. The happiness of Adar is unparalleled throughout the year. But the greatest happiness that we should have is the gratitude in our heart to the Rabbi Nishayim for allowing us to be in a Makam Torah. And that's why Purim is different if you're in a yeshiva. Adar is different if you're in a yeshiva. Because you're different. You're a malach. You're a malach. It's Hashem, we should grow to the utmost, maximize our full potential, not to be complacent, not to be satisfied with moderation and being a regular Bnei Adam, but rather to always strive to be the Malach Hashem Tzavakas that we really could be. Have a good Shabbos.